Okay, say something. Say something, I'm giving up on you. Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hi, and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. This is Paige Bruce, one half of Mindful as a Mother. And it's Lindsay. And guess what? This is our 100th episode. Woohoo! What blows your mind about 100 episodes, Paige? Uh, consistency. Yeah. The fact that we were able to be consistent at anything for 100, 100 times is <laughs> like we're really, uh, our ADHD brain's over here. We are just freaking celebrating. So thank you for joining us. If you've been listening from the beginning or you're just tuning in, I want you to know how grateful we are. And welcome to the 100th episode of Mindful as a Mother. And to celebrate, we're going to do something really freaking special. What are we going to do? We're going to do something called a podcast sprint. So this episode, we are focusing on chapter five of Your Brain's Not Broken by Tamara Rosier, PhD. If you don't know already, that's where we're at. We're finishing the second part. Part one, we talked mostly about children and helping children identify and work through their monsters. Now we're going to talk about adults. And then next week, what we're going to do is every day for five days, we're going to encourage you guys to tune in for a short five to 10 minute clip where we're going to give you very specific educational information and actionable things you can do to understand your nervous system and to start to regulate it for you and your kids. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's going to be so freaking good. So make sure that you tune in for that, but make sure you listen to this episode first for like the why and the background. And we're really going to explain why it's important to do these things with your kids. Yes, especially if you are neurospicy. Woohoo! <laughs> okay, so chapter five is all about monsters and identifying monsters of ADHD, essentially. And for me, this shows up a lot as like anxiety. Like I see it a lot as anxiety and anxiety in kids and how we're just wildly creative. And if you didn't, if you don't remember or you didn't turn into the last episode, please do that because it's really good. But also monsters are the negative thoughts that come up in our brains and kind of haunt mm-hmm. us, right? Or yeah. scare us yeah. into behaving a certain way or not showing up as our full selves or yes. they, they shame spiral us or have us questioning ourselves. Yeah. And when you're neurospicy, I feel like monsters, our fears, our insecurities are the things that continue to encourage us to mask, to show up as we think people want us to show up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that really causes a barrier to us being as authentic as we can. Do not take a shot for every time I say wildly creative. Yeah. Yeah. You'll listen to the last episode and you'll be like, um, yeah, I'm drunk. That's it. I am dead. (laughs) But that's a really important part because ADHD neurospiciness is a gift and we have a lot of superpowers that come with it and understanding the things that keep us from showing up as authentically as we can and limit us to show up in our full potential and what we have to offer, I think, um, is one of the main concerns that I have as a person with ADHD and a parent of a child with ADHD. Right. And I think those negative messages that like we have internalized growing up with, with 
ADHD or being neurodivergent or our kids are going to internalize are the things that keep us from valuing and utilizing the gifts that come with the ADHD brain, right? Because like we get so stuck in, I'm my brain is different from other people's and I'm not the same, that it keeps us from focusing on the things that our brains can do that other people's brains can't. Yeah, and we think are just average. And I actually, a monster just came up for me while we were discussing that. So I'm going to launch right in. I circled a quote in this book that I really like. And it says, um, he who fears, he shall suffer, already suffers what he fears. Mm -hmm. Let me like say it a little more fluid. He who fears, he shall suffer, already suffers what he fears. So like if you are already worried about something or fear something or you have those thoughts of insecurity and doubt, you are already, your body is already in the state of experiencing that. And I think that that is true of all humans. And it's something that we talk about a lot, which is why we're going to focus on the nervous system. Well, yeah. And I mean, the really cool thing about being a human in the human experience is that, um, and this is when people talk about like, it seems woo woo and like manifestation, but like our thoughts create, like our body can react as if the thing is actually happening to us. And this is why trauma is so difficult, but also like if we're having anxiety, our body's reacting as if that that monster is here with us right now. It's yes. not just a worry of the monster, right? Exactly. But the opposite is also true. So if we can like ground our nervous system, we can really get into a space of like safety and calm and we can use that brain power to our advantage if we know how to do it. Yes. And so I'm going to encourage everyone that's listening to this episode. Lindsay and I are going to talk about how we identify monsters that show up for us, which means like fears, insecurities, things that our body physically responds to. Right, so we think it, and now our body's responding like yeah. it's happening. Yeah. Um, I want to encourage you guys to think of these scenarios and really try to tune into your body and see where your body responds. Yeah. Because I think that that would be a really great exercise to start lay the foundation of understanding how these things impact you. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think about a lot is when we use exaggerating language I was going to say hyperbolic but I was like that's a fancy word when we exaggerate and we're really dramatic with our language and this ties back to us being wildly creative right like we can envision and imagine and communicate things that are so detailed and real to us with that wildly creative ability that we are now responding like it's happening Mm -hmm. so I'll have some teams that come in and I just totally freaked out. I didn't know what to do. I like pass out. And so tell me, tell me what that means. Like what was totally freaking out. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you pass out and you fell on the floor and somebody had to drag you out by your feet. And I get really into it. And I'm like painting this picture. And they're like, no, miss, I'm not. It's (laughs) it. No, I just was like scared. And then I left. I was like, okay. So then I'm like, let's tune into how our body responds to each of those differently. Like, how was our body responding when I'm saying, I totally freaked out. I didn't know what to do. I like passed out and I was like blacked out and I started to dissociate, right? Like they're using all the words that we're finding because the mental health talk is on its game. And then we kind of neutralize it. Mm-hmm. Like I was feeling really scared and nervous because I was in a room with a lot of people and I needed to walk out to calm down. Mm-hmm. Did you feel a difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In your body, in mm-hmm. your experience? Yeah. And I bet everyone listening did too. And so one thing that came up for me while we were talking about fears and monsters as being a parent with a child with ADHD, I realized, because we just, Lindsay and I just brainstormed like, what are our monsters? Let's identify them. Mm -hmm. Let's bring them out. And this didn't come up for me until right now is 
the idea of how my child will be perceived because of their ADHD tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, was it when I was talking about like the negative message that our kids internalize? Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that lately too and um, trying to balance it out more with like the positive messages and, and things like that. But yeah, it is a real monster and fear that comes up for me too is how the world will perceive my child. But not even that, the piece that is the monster for me is how my child will react or feel about the world perceiving them that way. Yeah, my specific part in that is how the world and others will treat my child because of how they're perceived. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that I realized right now in this moment, ah, that is a monster of mine. And if I let myself fall into this spiral, divergent thinking, we can go many different directions Mm -hmm. very vividly, Mm -hmm. right? Instantly. Um, So if I let myself... Now I'm having a lot of anxiety and I can feel a response in my body right now when I think about how much I love my child and I see mm-hmm. all of their superpowers and the things that they have to offer and then how sometimes that's perceived as being too much. I hate that phrase. Mm-hmm. It's just too much. It's a lot. Your kid is a lot. I hate that. Mm-hmm. That is something that really, really hurts. When me. I think when we were, we went on a walk to kind of plan this episode, we were talking about how that's the message when it comes to emotionality that we've gotten mm-hmm. our entire life is that it's too much and that then causes you to question yourself, right? Like, and we don't want our kids to experience that same thing. So yeah. it's coming from this place of like, I know this pain on some level and I don't want my kid to experience that. And I, and it feels like being the parent of a neurodivergent child, because I feel like autism, um, because I have this experience with Sam, like it resonates a lot for me with the autism as well. But like, I feel like I'm constantly fighting the negative messages that he may get from other places. Like I'm constantly trying to like compensate for that and make sure that like, that those things aren't coming from our family or like our immediate people that love him so much. And they're great. They wouldn't ever do that intentionally. But um, also like, then I have to be hyper aware of like what's happening at school and how peers are treating him because I'm trying to like buffer or feel like I'm on top of these negative messages that he may be internalizing. Yeah. And I think the caveat here is these are all the assumptions because we're creating this scenario narrative in our head. Yeah. And that's, that it doesn't happen. Yeah. And for my girls who are probably neurodivergent in like more of an ADHD way, mm-hmm. um, I don't have those same monsters. And, and I think that that's, something that's been really eye-opening for me is that I play into those monsters more because of the word autism than I do with my girls. Mm-hmm. And so like reining that back for me and doing the work around that will be really helpful. I, I was going to say has been, but I'm still in the process of it, like really unpacking that. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I think about how, so if one of my kids, she immediately feels emotions on such an intense level and it's not anger when people when I say intense a lot of people associate it with anger or stress or overwhelm no it's sad Sad. it's happy but like happy is much more socially acceptable when you feel it at an intensity than sad is right so we're wailing and now I'm getting feedback from people around us about like why do you have to scream or shutting your bad example or like things like that or like stop screaming and then I can help you like I can't handle the noise I'm like that's not okay in my mind because I know the pain associated with how we're going to be treated because of those tendencies. And I want to try to prevent it. Oh, and as someone who is a very emotionally sensitive person, like I have vivid memories from childhood of people telling me that I was 
reacting too much to something. Like I had a really hard time getting in trouble as a kid. And one time we had like our railings were like spray painted, you know, people like spray paint railings, like, and we had them in this apartment we lived in and I would scratch the paint off and like write my name in it. Cause duh, why do kids do that? But <laughs> I, I did that. <laughs> but I remember I did that all the time. And then like, eventually my mom noticed and I got in trouble for it. And I don't even feel like she reacted super harshly to me about it, but I literally like that correction crushed me. And then I remember there being like, dismissal of the level of emotional intensity I felt about being in trouble right like and I don't want my kids to ever have that feeling of like you're reacting too much to this like you feel too bad about this you know what I mean or you feel you're you're making a big deal out of this I just told you not to like do that right but like to me it feels like a big deal and also that probably ties into attachment stuff like fear I'm not going to be loved if I get in trouble I'm like the good girl because like I fall into the the good girl like Mm -hmm. to be loved well but yeah and I think it's hard too because this isn't just something that's specific to neurospicy people this includes like this is a lot of trauma we're talking about childhood trauma and associations that we have drawn that we are projecting onto our children right but because we are neurospicy now we're spiraling in a lot of different ways and creating like scenarios that probably didn't happen or daydreaming I don't know if you do this but Mm -hmm. I daydream Mm -hmm. scenarios happening where my kids are having conversations with other kids that had never happened but they're negative um, and so I just, that was a monster that showed up for me. And, and in the book, she talks about one of the, one of the beginning steps, which we said last episode in taming our monsters is being able to name them. Like you have to figure out what they are for you and how they're showing up. I think in kids as a parent, it's easy for me to say, see how things show up for my kids because we have that emotionality. And you see the behavior. So kids have behaviors. And so um, for me, it's easier to track it in my kids because I usually see a behavior. Mm -hmm. um, And then I'm like, oh, okay, I get why they are connection seeking a lot right now. And then like I can trace it back and figure out where the monster is showing up. But um, in my own head, the thoughts are so pervasive and subtle in a lot of ways because they're ingrained beliefs about myself that I often don't realize that I am just making my life so much harder than it needs to be. Than it has to be Mm -hmm. and having undue stress. So here's another one of my monsters Lindsay and I were talking about. I decided this year to buy an above ground pool for our kids. I haven't told them yet because then they'll be like, is it here yet? Is it here yet? But I am over the moon excited because it just made more sense for us this year now that our kids are all in an independent swimming space. And so I went and I looked up like pools and sizes and measured things, right? Like I would already do and put it in my cart. But then when I had the pool in my cart, I started reading the reviews of the pool and then it was people giving their feedback on like extra cleaning materials. And this pump doesn't work well. So here, use this pump and here's this link. And don't forget this skimmer. And then you'll need chlorine tabs, but the three inch tabs do too much. And the one inch tabs are not enough. So you got to take this one and you got to break it. And then you put it in this floating dispenser. But if it's wrong... Right? So I went... But also, these people are out here doing God's work. They are. <laughs> Sharing the review. Whoever shared that review, you are doing God's work. Thank you, Paige. Thanks you very much. Also, you gave her a massive amount of anxiety. So much. <laughs> My body responded. So then I'm like, okay, it's no longer just about a pool. It's about all of the cleaning and maintenance. And now I'm trying to factor in, does it budget... Like, financially, does it make sense to get this knowing I'm going to have to put in the time? 
and money into the maintenance. And then I also have to like prep the ground. And what does that look like? So I have... You're giving me anxiety. I know. My body is having a physical reaction to this right now. So I just got so overwhelmed. This is where decision paralysis comes in. And, And if you are following along, I am in a divergent rabbit hole right now yeah. where now I'm just going in every single direction instead of just like a really enjoyable summer activity that probably isn't as complicated to maintain for me is now like this huge project and like I'm racking up the dollars in my car adding all these add-on parts <laughs> where does perfectionism <laughs> come into this if I don't do it right then I can't do it at all so I'm like if I don't completely understand how to set it up how to prep the ground how to care for it then I I can't do it. I get overwhelmed. Well, and I think there's this rigid thinking pattern too that that like ties into this as a monster with this, where you feel like you have to do something the perfect way to do it at, to do all, it at all. all. Like yeah. it's an all or nothing thinking pattern. Yes. And those are really common in neurodivergent brains. Yes. Like, well, and it's like, if I don't know how to do this and I don't do all the things, which is why I like a $250 pool then turn into like a $400 purchase. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Look and if you weren't expecting that, too, yes. that can be, like, another level of monsters and thoughts yes. about. So, it's, like, if I don't understand how to care for this, then I shouldn't get it. And I should pay somebody else the season pass or whatever because they know what they're doing, right? So, now I'm, like, not at all. No, never mind the positive benefits of having it. And so, what I ended up doing is I had to just completely close my browser. And I had to walk away. I walked away for a few days because I just was so overwhelmed and stressed every single time I tried to decide what the wisest thing to do mm. was because I get trapped in this perfectionism monster divergent spiral and so how I had to work through that is I had to regulate my nervous system which we talk about a lot and we're going to explain the importance of that but I honestly was like okay this year I'm giving myself permission for it to be a learning opportunity I love that I pressed go on whatever I already have in the cart based on the reviews that I had already looked at. And instead of deep diving in again, or even buying extra filters or chlorine tablets, I pressed go and I was like, okay, I'll give myself until October. Cause that's when we'll put the pool away. And if I hated it, then I know that now, mm-hmm. but if I don't, then I also had a learning opportunity on how, how to use it and how we're going to enjoy it next time. Can I share where this shows up for me? Yeah. This shows up for me with like meal planning and grocery shopping. So my brain is not good at the organization part of things. And I don't mean that in a way of like, I get torn in like, I hate the word executive like dysfunction because I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, but like my, my executive function differences don't make it harder for me to go through the steps of like planning meals, finding ingredients, how many snacks do we need? What kind of snacks? Um, and this is why Paige does all of our organizing for the podcast because it just makes it's hard for my brain. But what I'll do is I'll spiral and like I have to make sure I get all the things we need. And if I forget something, because being forgetful is something that often happens, mm-hmm. um, I that would be the end of the world. And so I spiral of like, did I get everything? Did I get enough? Did I meal plan the ingredients? Am I saving the most amount of money possible with coupons and blah 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 blah? And I had to just stop and be like, Lindsay, you live, you live three seconds from a grocery store going to be okay if you forget something like you'll figure it out like and so that was my way of self-talking through like it doesn't have to be perfect and I don't have to do it perfectly and then create all this nervous system stress about ordering freaking groceries yeah like just push order and if you forgot something you'll figure it out right and I think it's hard to move into that space so like my body feels stressed right now my back is tense 
I get like a stress rash, like I turn red. And sometimes I call it my superpower because like my body will always tell you what's going on, even if my face won't. But this is why I really wanted to tie in the nervous system and why we talk about it so much <coughs> into this episode. Because when we end up in this space, if we continue to be dysregulated, it is very, very hard to access or use any skills that can bring us back to allow us to work through this monster. And you're going to spiral more on monsters because your thoughts, um, the state of your thoughts come from the state of your nervous system. So when you're in a dysregulated place, you're viewing everything through the lens of survival and through dysregulation. So uh, you're viewing the pool as like life or death. I'm viewing my groceries as life or death. And and we're placing like undue importance on things that really don't fucking matter that much. And and putting all this pressure and stress on ourselves and we'll stay in that spiral for the amount of time that our nervous system stays in that dysregulated state. Yeah. That's why I think I've always always used sleep as such a big coping skill because I, I wasn't aware for a long time that my nervous system was dysregulated. And then I also like when I couldn't figure out like how to get it regulated when I was starting to regulate, like if I sleep or if I take a nap, I wake up and my nervous system is regulated. So then I'm like viewing things through a different lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, that it really is such a big fundamental shift. And when you have it happen to you, when you're in some kind of monster spiral and then you regulate and suddenly you view the whole situation differently, it is freaking mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely. And when I'm talking about this with people, I talk about this. I've never been in a submarine. But you know those radars in the submarine that yeah. are like boop, yeah. boop, and like the green thing is yeah. going and it flashes like a yeah. dot. And how some are more sensitive than others and they can sense more depth. Okay, so we all have a submarine radar system in our brain. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about being dysregulated. It's called neuroception. Neuroception, yeah. um, which we'll get into part of our podcast room. But this is how I describe it. I'm like, here's our radar system yeah. and it's going all the time. And sometimes it's more sensitive than others. So we're going to, like a submarine would sense smaller things and it's like threat, threat, something's coming up like in a time of war versus mm-hmm. like I'm scanning for underwater treasure, right? Or something in the shallow. It is, you know, what you're doing when you're dysregulated is your radar is picking up on stuff that isn't necessarily dangerous. It's not a missile, it's not something that we need to be afraid of, but your radar is picking it up like it is. And so now that's what we're preparing for. And then taking into account that our nervous systems are patterned based on our childhood experiences mostly, right? And our past experiences. So if you have, if you're neurodivergent, your nervous system, your your like scanning system is more sensitive naturally than mm-hmm. a neurotypical brain. Then you add in if you have trauma mm-hmm. and it is then more sensitive on top of that. And so you're scanning and you're constantly finding danger or enemy ships in things that aren't actually that. It's yes. like it's almost like a mirage. Like I yes. see it as look at us with our metaphors today. All over the place. All we, over. We went from underwater metaphors. Underwater to in the desert. Now we are in the desert, guys. But it's like <laughs> a mirage. Like you see it as this thing and then when you get up close to it and you regulate, it's not that at all. Like it yes. it's not that and and perception, and I know you talked about this and something we share is confrontation as mm-hmm. our monster. Perception is a huge part of this. Do you want to share a little bit about how that shows up for you? Um, confrontation. So mostly what I can, what I can share is that I notice a response in my body because this is still a monster that I'm really trying to tune into. And I have a lot of opportunity to do that in the work that I do, right? Because I work with children and I work with parents who sometimes are 
are experiencing difficulty, whether they're working through a divorce or like trying to figure out family planning or co-parenting. And so a lot of the times I end up being a middle person to a lot of confrontation. And even though it's not directly aimed at me, like I start to feel hot in my body. I start to... You can feel the energy uh-huh. of them. I start avoiding phone calls. My neck, like I... You can, I can feel like heat rise up my neck. And now the newer one that I'm tuning into is I start to feel it's not, I wouldn't say like I'm going to puke, but I have a response in my stomach that's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, it's, it is my stomach doesn't feel great. Like it's, it's like butterflies. Yeah. And I just, this is kind of a tangent, but just so you know us a little better, the hardest part of working with kids as a therapist is working with their parents. And sometimes there's this lack of like empathy for the fact that we are also human beings who are just trying to help and we're not trying to attack their parenting. And like, we love y'all moms, but like, and dads, but sometimes you give us anxiety and that's okay. Yeah. But I love it because it's challenged me. Like doing this work has challenged me to work on that piece of myself. Like, so I almost appreciate it sometimes when I have like a parent or a situation that requires me to be more direct Mm -hmm. because then it's, making me learn one how to regulate my nervous system and two like that like showing myself like I can do this like it's it's okay you know yeah absolutely sorry that was my tangent no it's a good one and it's something that oftentimes I know this is one of the powers of understanding the work is I know this is a response happening in my body it's not a confrontation coming at me so even though my radar system is picking up on it I can practice my skills to regulate and ride that out and then it it becomes less and less intense the more that I experience it and I'm able to work through it which is why like the importance of why we talk about the nervous system right like this is a hill I will die on everything is related back to your nervous system and when I have a supportive routine in place and we're going to teach you how to do that in our podcast sprint for my nervous system it is easier for me to I have the awareness of like because I'm just taking care of my nervous system. I'm supporting it. I'm nourishing it. So when I get into my, my body steps into that, I'm more aware of it. So I don't spiral as long. I still spiral, but not as long. Or my body still maybe has the physical reaction, but then my mind goes, oh, that's what this is. And I can yes. regulate really quickly. Can identify it, yeah. which is the first step of being able to work through those yeah. monsters regularly. And if you're not regulated, you're not identifying the monsters because you're in survival mode. So you're not focused on that. You're just focused mm-hmm. on surviving. And so it's like my body having this big reaction these people are mad at me or whatever that is like yeah and I love to bring it back to real life examples so when we're talking about neuroception the radar system picking up on things that aren't threatening that we take as a perception of threat right okay so this is an example of I had a client who was working on a test they did very well on the test the teacher complimented them hey really good job on your test and then the client what they ended up perceiving it as was oh they think I'm stupid like I wasn't going to do well on this test (laughs) what like why are you coming at me like that right and it became a big aggressive moment for them where they were very dysregulated where that is a real example of how perception perception yeah and neuroception it's like if we're not nourishing our nervous system and we're not aware of some of those responses we will take things that are very just like flat and neutral and this happens a lot in friendships right if somebody like this happens for me, it's another monster. If I'm inviting somebody I don't know very well, I'm not comfortable in that relationship. I'm like, hey, you want to go to trivia this week? And we can like hang out and eat tater tots and like be besties. And they're like, oh, I can't. Sorry. They don't give me any other explanation. Not that they owe me one, right? They don't owe me one. But I have no other explanation. Then I start to spiral 
and think like, oh, they don't want to be my friend. There must be something about me that they don't like. They're not interested in getting to know me. Maybe I'm just not their person, right? So I'm picking it up. I'm perceiving it as a rejection and a threat rather than like, oh, they probably have something else going on. Yeah. I do this. I see this show up for me most in my marriage. um, And that's probably because Tim's my safe person and with my like trauma, like that's where, so I'm also most codependent with him and I find myself in those codependent tendencies and it's nothing he's doing, but it's the state of my nervous system, um, perceives like the things he says to me or like, um, I'm trying to think of an example and it's escaping me now, but even just like the way he says something, I think of it, I take it differently. Mm-hmm. And I internalize it as something being negative or him being upset at me or him, whatever. Would it be something like he walks in and he's like, man, the house is really cluttered today. No, he would never say that to me. He's not brave enough to say that to me. (laughs) Um, And he's just nice like that. Like he would never say that. Um, But he, but like, I would totally say that to him. I'd be like, you didn't do anything while I was at work. What the hell? I'm kind of an asshole. But, um. Well, I'm thinking when Zane walks in, sometimes Zane's the name of my husband. I think our listeners know. But he'll walk in and he'll make a comment like, it just feels really chaotic in here. I'm overwhelmed. That isn't directed at me. It's not like I was expected Mm -hmm. to clean anything or do anything. Mm -hmm. He's just expressing how he's feeling. But I'm like, why would you? Like, okay, then do something about it. Like, what? Yeah, so mine too. uh, Okay, where this comes up for me is like if the kids are like on 10 and I've had them all day. Um, he'll be like, gosh, they're like on one. And I like, feel like that's like, well, what have you been doing with them? Why are they on one? Like, why aren't you like managing no, this? Situ- yeah. Like, why aren't you managing the situation with the kids when it's not that he's saying that at all? He's just saying like, oh, they're being kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but, oh, it's just one of those days. But if I'm in a day and if the kids are on 10, I'm usually dysregulated. But if I'm in having a day where I am regulated, I'm able to be like, yeah, they're really just freaking on when I don't know what's going on. And it's a totally different like situation yeah. and experience. And uh, perception that yeah. we're interpreting it differently. So here's what we're going to do. 100th episode. We are very passionate about understanding the nervous system and what's happening with the nervous system. And we think that this is really a foundation. Something we really value is being affordable and accessible for you guys. So we're going to do a podcast sprint instead of a traditional episode next week. Every day, we're going to do a short five to 10 minute clip where we're going to teach you a different foundation of understanding your nervous system, the nervous system of your kids, and how you can start building these skills so that way you can work through your monsters. You can Mm -hmm. identify it in your body. Like We're here, we're doing the work, and we want you guys to know that, and we want to show you how to do it. That's why. We've done the work so you can do it more quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Learn from our learning. Yeah. Yeah. So Monday... Through Friday, here we're going to do mapping your nervous system and your kids. We're going to do basic needs and how they play into your nervous system and nervous system nourishment. We're going to do attempting new skills and how to do new skills for yourself and with your children, which will be really important. And then we're going to talk about creating a supportive routine. And they're just going to be really short, digestible clips if you guys are interested. And we really hope you all tune into them because this is the foundation of everything that we talk about, whether it's one-on-one with our actual clients or here on the podcast. Yeah. So tune in next week so you can get all of the actionable steps. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.